chapter 19. And um, if you don't, we've got these tables back here that actually have Bibles on them. And you're welcome to grab one. If you don't own a Bible, keep it. Mike's got some. He's passing them out. If you don't own one, keep it. If you know someone that doesn't have one, take it and give it to them. If not, you're welcome to just use it for this morning. But we're going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 19. So if you want to go ahead and thumb that direction, um, we will track it down. We're actually in week two of a series called Life on the Road, stories of a God who meets us right where we are. And the idea is this, is that we have this misconception in our Christian subculture that somehow we have to clean our lives up clean our lives up before we can kind of present ourselves to God. But the truth is, we can never clean our lives up enough. So Holy God steps into our lives and meets us right where we are in the middle of our struggle, our hurt, our pain, our despair, our issues and things, and says, I love you. And that's the God that we serve. And last week we talked about a God that that steps into the middle of our own agendas, in the middle of our own lives, and our, our chasing of pursuing our own plans God steps in and says, I've got a huge plan for your life. This week we're going to be looking at God as he steps into the middle of our lifestyle. The the sin and the issues and the things that we're gripping so tightly to. We have a God that steps in the middle of those things and says, man, I've got something amazing for your life and I love you. And we're going to look at a, a very familiar story and look at the passage about Zacchaeus and talk about a God that's willing to do this sort of radical interruption in the middle of what we thought we had so well put together. So, before we get there, let's pray. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab it, Luke chapter 19. If not, you're going to follow along with me, but let's pray before we uh, go before the Lord and open His Word this morning. God, we are so grateful for what you're doing here, and we thank you so much for worship, and we thank you, God, that, that you draw us into your presence. And God, we thank you that you are, are very real, that you are more real than the air that we breathe, and that, God, you desire a relationship with us. God, we ask that in this place this morning, you would just begin to stir and move in our hearts. And just take just a second right where you are and just ask God to let everything else just sort of fade away. And that he would open your heart to who he is. Just God, let everything else fade away and open my heart to who you are. And pray for someone beside you or in front of you or behind you. Maybe you know their name. Maybe you don't. Just pray. Just ask God to just do something in their lives. Just say, God, do something in this person's life. And pray for me. Pray that I appear to know selfishness or self-righteousness, just an empty and open vessel that God can use. Jesus, we love you and we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. Teach us this morning. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 19, all right, story of Zacchaeus. We're going to start in verse 1 and go all the way down through 11. This is God's word. Now, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was very wealthy, and he wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not. Because of the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree, and since Jesus, uh, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and they began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. 
But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Now the story of Zacchaeus is one that we're really familiar with. In fact, most of us probably grew up with it with childhood of songs. If you were raised in church, you know, the Zacchaeus was a wee little man song. I, I will save you the pain and not sing it for you. But you may remember the story, or it's one that we're always accustomed to hearing because Zacchaeus was short and so he climbed a tree. Right? That's what we remember about the story. But there's a whole lot of really significant things that are going on here. What we have is we have Jesus traveling with his band of disciples. And anywhere Jesus went, huge crowds of people gathered because they all wanted to see what was going on. I mean, everywhere Jesus went, he was doing something incredible, feeding 5,000, casting out demons, healing blind people. I mean, people wanted to know about this Jesus. And so when it was talked about that he was coming to an area, they would gather in the thousands along the streets and they would bring all their sick and wounded and injured and and the demon possessed and they would just bring people to be touched by him because they all wanted to see him be a part of it. All throughout scripture we have records of people showing up in huge numbers to see Jesus. Well this text tells us that Jesus was in a town or going into a town called Jericho when he was just passing through. And the people lined the streets. And I don't know how many of you have ever been to Disneyland or Disney World with your kids. But you know the parade about midday where people get about ten deep and you've got to have your kids on your shoulders and Mickey Mouse comes parading? I mean, there's a lot of similarities. It's kind of like a parade in some sort, but people are just trying to see. I mean, Jesus shows up and, and his band of disciples and him walk through town and people line the streets. And in Jericho, we're introduced to this man named Zacchaeus. And we know that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and was wealthy because we're told that. We don't know a whole lot else about him, but we know those things. We also know that Zacchaeus was a short guy. And if you've ever been at Disneyland trying to see the parade and you're in the back and you're short, it just doesn't work. And Zacchaeus was having the same problem. All these people line the streets and he can't see and he wants to see Jesus. I mean, he wanted to see what all the commotion was about. So he runs down the way a little bit and he finds a fig tree, which is kind of like a a short little tree, and he scampers up it and he gets in the branches and he just waits. So he's down the road a little bit. Jesus is coming. The thousands of people gathered on the streets wanting to see Jesus. And here's Zacchaeus perched up in this tree. This looks like a great idea. So Jesus is coming down the road and it says that he gets to the place where Zacchaeus was and he stops. I mean, I bet you could almost hear Zacchaeus' heart pounding. I mean, here he is. he got nowhere to go. I mean, this guy is up a tree, literally. And so he's up this tree. Jesus stops. He turns. He looks at him. And you know that whole crowd just followed Jesus' eyes. And they're all staring at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is stuck up in this tree. Everyone's staring at him. And Jesus looks at him. And he says, Zacchaeus, calls him by name. Come down immediately because tonight I must stay at your house. I mean, talk about being called out. So Zacchaeus is in this tree. He slides down out of the tree and he stands up in front of everybody. He says, if I've cheated anybody, or if it's right now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'm going to pay back four times that amount. Which was, I mean, this is a miracle that's happening. I mean, Zacchaeus was a wealthy tax collector. Gives away half of his stuff and then repays four times the people that he's cheated. 
And, and then Jesus says, well, today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. And, and I'll get into that more in a minute, but it's really significant what he says. This story is one that we're familiar with. I mean, we've heard it a lot. If, you, if you've run in any kind of churchy circles, you've heard it. And I want to look at it this morning from a little bit different angle. I want to look at it not through the eyes of, of Zacchaeus and, and what he was doing, but really through kind of three phrases we see in this text. And the first one comes out of verse 2. And it says this. It says, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. The first phrase I want to pay attention to describes and defines Zacchaeus, and I believe describes and defines you and I. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Now, tax collectors were hated people. They were hated people for two reasons. One, because they collected taxes for Caesar, which the Jewish people couldn't stand anyway. They were paying tax to the Roman government, and it was Jewish people collecting those taxes. And they hated tax collectors because they were thieves. Because what a tax collector would do was if you owed two silver coins to the government, the tax collector would tell you you owed three silver coins. So if they'd give two silver coins to the government, they'd keep one for themselves. And the government was great with that because as long as they got theirs, they didn't have to pay you. And so the tax collectors had this little racket going. And if you've ever seen the cartoon movie Robin Hood, Sheriff Nottingham, if you've ever, I almost brought the clip today, but then I was like, I oh, you know, maybe not. But I think it's significant. But Sheriff Nottingham does the same thing. He just takes the tax money. From the little blind child. Because tax collectors were allowed to do that. They weren't frowned upon. There was nothing you could do about it. And tax collectors were hated people. And they were quote unquote sinners because they were cheaters. They were liars and they were thieves. They would steal from people to pad their own pockets. Rather than making an, a decent wage, they'd go to the poor and they'd take what they had. And then they'd pay the government and they'd keep the rest. Well, Zacchaeus was more than a tax collector. He was actually a chief tax collector, which means he was like captain of the tax collectors. He was chief of the chiefs. He was like, he had himself a whole little racket going. I mean, it's almost like the earliest stages of organized crime. You know, you're kind of like the boss, and then you've got all these people working for you, and they've got their own deals going, and you're getting pieces of their deals. And, and Zacchaeus was a wealthy guy. He was a wealthy guy. And he had a lot of money, but he was a chief tax collector. He was kind of living a life of sin, really a lifestyle. And you've got to understand what sin is before we really get this. Sin is not some kind of isolated behavior. Sin is not something that we do, therefore it's one action. Sin is actually a lifestyle. It's a nature, right? Paul tells us that, that we all are born with a sinful nature, and Zacchaeus is caught up in this nature. You know, the Anglo-Saxons used to use this term, sin, when it came to archery. In archery contests, they would station a person downrange, and then everybody else would be up here, and they'd fire these arrows. And if an arrow hit the target in the middle, that person downrange would yell out the word, Mark. And if it missed, they would yell out the word, sin. And sin literally just meant, for the Anglo-Saxons, just meant to miss the mark. And if we look at sin in terms of that this morning... That really sin is anything that misses God's mark for our lives. Then sin becomes a way of life. And Zacchaeus is actually tied up in this way of life. He's created for himself a lifestyle that he may not even know was as awful as it was. But the truth is everybody hated him. And he knew that. And sin infiltrates who we are. And it becomes justifiable. It becomes part of us. 
And there may be some of you here this morning that are kind of sitting in that same boat. That on the outside, it looks so amazing. You've got it all together, right? I mean, Zacchaeus was wealthy. He was running his own little empire. He was kind of like could do whatever he wanted. And people figured that he just had it together and they just despised who he was. Maybe for some of us this morning, we appear on the outside like we have it all figured out. Like we've got it together. But we know on the inside our life is a mess. And we're falling apart. And that we are unsatisfied and that none of those things that we are racking up are helping at all. And we know that if we're really truthful, that we've got this mask on that we put on for everybody else. But that we're hollow. And whether we know it or not, there's just something so much better. Well, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He was living a lie. Some of us here this morning can probably understand that. We've so got wrapped up in what we do that we've forgotten who we were called to be. So the first statement or phrase, chief tax collector, I believe defines Zacchaeus, I believe defines us. I mean, my life is a mess. It's a mess. I'm kind of the chief of the sinners, if you will. Paul calls himself uh, a sinner of which there is no worse. That's Apostle Paul. And maybe this morning you're feeling like chief of the sinners. And, and you don't like to use that word, but maybe um, pick another word. You know? um, but maybe that's you. Second phrase I want to look at I think is equally as, as important and significant. And it also defines Zacchaeus and defines you and I. So we know Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. And then verse 3 says this, that Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. Now, Zacchaeus was an important guy, but Zacchaeus didn't want to meet Jesus. Right? Zacchaeus wanted to just see Jesus. He wanted to get close enough to see Jesus walk by, but not actually have to interact with him. So what does he do? He climbs a tree, which seems like this perfect idea. I can see Jesus. I can see him over there. But I don't have to get in anybody's way. I don't draw a whole lot of attention to myself. I just go about my business, and I can see what Jesus is up to. He didn't want to meet him. I mean, Zacchaeus is an important guy in town. He could have met anybody he wanted to. But he didn't want to meet Jesus. And I find this really significant for you and I because I believe that so many of us want to see Jesus, but we don't want to meet him. We want to get just close enough to see what this God thing, this Jesus, this church, this religious experience is all about as to somehow make ourselves feel a little bit better morally if we show up every once in a while and we get just close enough to say, yeah, I'm about that. But if we're real honest with ourselves, we don't want to meet Jesus. Because deep down inside, we know if we meet Jesus, he will mess up our lives. He will mess up all that we've created in this lifestyle. And you know what? I believe Zacchaeus knew that. I believe Zacchaeus knew that if he got involved with Jesus, it was going to somehow mess up his life. Wealthy, tax collector, living the dream. I just want to see Man, for some of us, we've been playing that game our whole lives. We've lived a life of just seeing Jesus, trying to identify close enough to, to just kind of talk ourselves out of the fact that we're not bad morally and be semi-good so that we feel a little bit better about ourselves, but petrified about what it would mean if we actually met Jesus. And that's exactly what Zacchaeus does. He wanted to see Jesus. 
And that was how I wanted to exist. I'm living my life. I'm in the middle of my lifestyle. And I just want to get close enough to see Jesus. And you know what? For a lot of us, we're content that way. And maybe you're here this morning totally content with that. Going, I've got my life figured out pretty well. Or at least as far as I let everybody else in on. And things are working, sort of. And I'm showing up at church every once in a while. And I can see what's going on and I feel fine. And we're content with that. But here's the problem. The problem comes in that third phrase. Because a third phrase defines God. Jesus shows up at the place where Zacchaeus was in that tree and he stops. Now you know this is going to be problematic. And then verse 5 says he turns and he looks at Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. The third phrase, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to stay with you. You want to talk about messing up your life. Man, Zacchaeus was, he was fine. But Jesus stops, stares at him straight in the eye and calls him by name. Now, we don't know how Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name. He's a pretty big guy in the region. So, I mean, maybe he had heard about him. I like to think that, that Jesus did this sort of God thing and was like, Zacchaeus. And he's like, how does he know my name? You know? He's like, that's not me. You know, but, but he calls him by name, which was incredibly intimate. I mean, think about that. Jesus calls him by name. I mean, we can call a whole lot of people buddy or chief or what's up, bro? You know? But it's much more intimate when you use someone's name. Hey, Tom, how are you doing? Janet, it's so good to see you. You know, what's up, bro? You know, we don't use someone's name. Typically, it's, it becomes a, le- a lot less intimate. So Jesus uses Zacchaeus' names, and he calls him and says, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. I must stay at your house. So then he says, I'm staying at your house. It just went from intimate to very uncomfortable. Because you can meet someone who says, hey, Tom, it's great to see you. Guess what? I'm going to be staying in your bedroom. All of a sudden, the like death con level goes up like three notches. Because now he's invading my intimate life. See, Zacchaeus had this outside life, and home was probably really safe. And you can invade that if you must, but you don't invade this circle. And we all have those circles in our lives, those safety areas, the area that you can do what you want, but nobody invades this. Maybe it's your home, maybe it's your heart. But Jesus invades and radically interrupts Zacchaeus' life and says, I must stay at your house. And you've got to understand that all this is held together with the word must. I must stay at your house. You know, verse 1 says that Jesus was passing through Jericho. What changed from passing through to I must stay at your house? You know, the word must in the Greek, that word actually translates as it is necessary and actually defines a divine um, inevitability. In other words, God had this plan that was going to happen. It is necessary and it was divine. That's what that word translates out to. It's not just I have to. It means it's this divine necessity. You get the sense that something big's going on. And so Zacchaeus, stuck up in this tree, Jesus calls him by name and says, I'm going to stay at your house. You know what? I believe that God is doing that in our lives this morning. I believe he's doing that in your life. I believe he is calling you by name saying, I've got this incredible thing for your life. 
Whatever your lifestyle is, whatever sin or struggle or issue that you're wrestling with, dealing with, or clinging so tightly to, it's not unbreakable. Because we have a God that is about a radical interruption that will mess up our lives. If anybody couldn't let go of a lifestyle, it's Zacchaeus. But Jesus says, I'm staying with you. And I'll tell you this morning that I believe that God wants to radically mess up your life. I believe that he wants to get there and interrupt all the things that you thought you had figured out and show you an amazing plan. You know what the result of all this is? The result is transformation. I mean, think about it for a moment. What does Zacchaeus do? He could have easily looked at Jesus and said, Hey, I'm good. Thank you. I'll catch you next time you're passing through. I will work some stuff out. Or, or yeah, come on over and we'll talk about it. But Zacchaeus comes down out of the tree, because God said to do it immediately, comes down out of the tree, and he looks at Jesus. And without being prompted, he says this, Right now, half of everything that I have, I give to the poor. Half. I mean, you're watching a miracle here. Do you know that Jesus says that it's easier um, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy person or a rich man to get into heaven? You know why? Because we're so attached to our stuff that it replaces our need for God. You're watching a wealthy man give away half of his things. He didn't even know who they were going to. He just said, the poor, take them. And then on top of that, he says, I've cheated anybody out of anything. And I guarantee you, in that crowd of a thousand plus people, he's cheated pretty much everybody. I will pay you back four times what I stole from you. Over the years, you know how much this is coming to? This is pretty much everything Zacchaeus has. Pay you back four times that amount. You know, as people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, you ripped me off, man. I want my money. It's a half, I mean, just gave away everything. And you know what the crowd's response was? The crowd was not. All right, yay! Way to go, Zacchaeus! Jesus is awesome! They were mad. They were mad because Jesus went to eat with that guy. They weren't excited about transformed life. They were mad because Jesus went to go spend time with a sinner. And you know what? As a church, we are so much that way today. We are more frustrated that God is doing something in the lives of someone that doesn't deserve it, and we feel so stinking empty right here. We don't rally around the transformed life. We don't rally around that man or woman that has been an alcoholic or a drug addict all their life and, and 27 years later they come to know God and things change. And all of a sudden they just seem to be blessed. Most of us are just frustrated. You know how many times, I've worked in the church for 12 years, you know how many times I've heard, we have enough problems of our own. We should probably deal with our own rather than spending our time going out there. It makes me physically sick. Because you're right, we do have our problems, and I've got mine. But God calls us to rally and love and be about the transformation. And if God wants to redeem Zacchaeus, man, then praise Jesus. I want to hear that story. I believe that God wants to be about the transformation of your life. I believe this morning God wants to be about doing something so much bigger than what you've ever dreamed of or can imagine. And I guarantee you this morning, and I believe this morning, that God wants to meet you in the middle of your sin, whatever that is, whatever your chief tax collector hat is. I believe that God wants to step in the middle of that. Because if, he, if you think that God is waiting for you to finally get it together, that somehow Zacchaeus was going to go, you know what, my life's a mess, I'm probably going to give all my stuff away. It's not going to happen. Our nature messes that up. 
So what does God do? He stops on the road right where we are. He looks up at us perched in our safe little comfortable trees and he says, I'm going to interrupt your life. Zacchaeus responds by saying, please do. What's your response to the God that calls you by name and says, I want to interrupt your life? I don't know about you, but this is literally the greatest news I've ever heard. Because I have Zacchaeus written all over me. I mean, I create my whole own little life, and I get perched up in my own little safe areas, and I need a God that will come and rescue me. I mean, this is the best news I've heard. And so this morning, wherever you are, whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're dealing with, I want to tell you this. God wants to be about the transformation of your life to meet you where you are and to change your life for good. I'm going to invite Don, the worship team, to go ahead and come back up. And we're going to end our time together celebrating that this morning, celebrating that this is the best news we've ever heard. And I'm going to invite you to to think a little bit different about worship. I'm going to invite you to really recognize that if this is really the freeing gospel that we talked about, that what do the people of God do when they celebrate? If you've been raised in church most of your life, most of us feel like that somehow worship is a song that we sing as opposed to an expression of our lives. But if you just heard that God would redeem and rescue your life from the pit of despair to give you brand new life, how do you respond to the Creator God? It's the greatest news I've heard. And I invite you as we continue in worship to stand and praise God. And if that means for the first time you move a little bit, then move. I mean, this is great stuff. And God is so, so good. We're going to have men and women from our prayer team down here on the floor. On in the corners, if you want to come and have somebody pray with you, we would love to be a part of that this morning. But I invite you where you are to stand. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go into worship. And then directly after that, we're having a picnic at Douglas Park. There are flyers on the table. Grab one and go with us. Um, we got free chicken. You can't really pass up free chicken. All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for who you are. God, we praise, praise you and are so grateful because, God, I do believe that this is the best news I've ever heard. And God, I thank you for rescuing me and redeeming me and meeting me in the middle of my mess. And I thank you, God, that you'll do the same for all of us. And that, Father, you stop us right where we are and you redeem our lives right in the middle of our lifestyle. That, God, you are a redeeming, life-changing God. So, Father, we pray this morning that you would interrupt our lives in a radical way and that we may never be the same. God, we invite you to mess us up and we praise you this morning. Hear our cry.